morning, everyone. This is Claudia Shambaugh welcoming you to the July 1 edition of Ask a Leader. Many thanks to Marie Stone and her mellow tone covering me last Tuesday. It was a good show on a number of levels, including where she elicited from theater artistic director Eli Simon some interesting comparisons between the sexes within or beyond the Shakespearean context. Anyway, I'd like to welcome any new listeners as well as the faithful. Today, my first guest will be, uh, God willing, <clears throat> Evan Hafer, who's created a platform on getting together veterans, service members, law enforcement, outdoor enthusiasts, fishing and hunting communities on a social as well as a financial basis. The second half will be a very timely to have D. Marie Molatieri and Trent Lang bring the California Disclose Act out in center from the Clean Money Campaign. We'll cover that Senate bill and more campaign finance reform legislation. And if some of you caught a look at the documentary Citizen Coke, you're probably developing a, a deeper appreciation for how dirty all this campaigning is becoming. Don't go away. I'm uh, expecting a call in from Evan Hafer from Heber City, Utah, if just make sure that his agent or he gets back with me shortly. everybody. We have with us back to, uh, here on Ask a Leader, my first guest today, who is Evan Hafer. He is co-founder of Twistrate, the first investment portal solely dedicated to veterans, at the website which will be launched this Friday on the 4th of July. A little bit about our guest, an avid outdoorsman. Evan spent the first 14 years of his U.S. Army career serving as an infantryman and Special Forces soldier, a Green Beret in fact, deployed throughout the globe. He trained journalists, survival skills in combat theaters, led African contingency operations, trained indigenous forces to protect their nations, provided high-risk security operations, and conducted countless missions. Post-military, Evan conducted similar operations for government agencies, worked for a nanotechnology company by developing commercial and defense industry products, and spent years training law enforcement and government personnel in crisis response training. In 2013, he founded the Crisis Response Education Foundation, a nonprofit devoted to helping law enforcement through the teaching of special forces operations training. You can hear some special forces uh, sound effects in the background as we're queuing them up here. So uh, it's, a, it's a nonprofit devoted here to uh, there to helping law enforcement through the teaching of special forces operations. Okay. You know your close, usual close quarters combat, your advanced pistol and carbine uh, courses, and ocean hunting. He got his start as an instructor after he graduated from the University of Idaho when he attended, attended the Special Forces Qualification Course as a Special Forces Communications Sergeant, an entrepreneur and active investor. Evan has his own fly fishing and river guiding company, a little zen to offset the uh, high anxiety <laughs> combat action. And by working with innovators from around the globe, he's helped off others bring their inventions and passions to life as brrr, ting, he and the co-founder, uh, Jeff Kirkham, founded Twist Rate. 
He comes to us today, I believe, unless he's changed every plan, from Heber City, Utah. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Evan Hafer. Well, thank you very much. That is quite an introduction. I don't think I've ever had an introduction that 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 well done before. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show, and thank you for that great response. I'm just glad we have you, because I thought I was going to be having to do an ad hoc emergency <laughs> crisis training to get you uh, lassoed on, near your microphone there. Well, military veterans have a pretty good record in business. They certainly have a corner on the market in the discipline and crisis, eman- uh, crisis emergency management skill set that sets them apart from the civilian force. Tell us uh, about how what distinguishes them in terms of startup business. Well, I, you know, I think that, that veterans, especially veterans from my community, I think, uh, one, you know, we have to you know, paint the picture a little bit. You know, my community, or at least my veteran community that's close hold or within an arm's length away, as I like to call it, is more of the special operations community. And when we talk about entrepreneurship, you know, the big thing with entrepreneurship is, you know, people that are constantly striving to, uh, I guess, extend outside of their comfort zone. You know, they're willing to take risks. They're willing to challenge their own paradigms. So they're constantly trying to push the limits. Well, special operations is very similar in that same aspect, is you're always challenging paradigms. You're constantly pushing the limits of your individual and your team. And that flows into unit as well. And as you, as you guys can imagine, you know, the special operations units only really encompass about 1% of the actual overall force. So when we talk about special operations and entrepreneurship, I think there are a lot of the traits that are inherent in selecting a special operations soldier that actually translate directly into entrepreneurship. And if we extend that across the border to the conventional forces and then overall veterans, one, they're volunteers, right? So they've stepped across the line, they've raised their hand, and they said, I'm going to volunteer my time and commit quite possibly my life to this endeavor. And that takes a significant amount of confidence. And some of that is driven at 18 years old. But then as you have guys that continue to re-up and volunteer, and then they do these long extended tours in the combat zones, well, that takes a lot of confidence. And I think entrepreneurship is confidence, leadership. You know, those are kind of the foundations, being able to, constantly move forward, challenge yourself, and have the confidence to actually believe in what you're doing. Because, you know, as a lot of your listeners, as they can imagine or as they've experienced, you know, life is, it's it's a continuing evolution of challenges. And you have to be able to step into it every day, especially as an entrepreneur, and say, you know what, I'm committed to this idea, I believe in it, and whether you're out to change the world or whether you're out to sell your, you know, your design widget, it takes a lot of endurance. And I think veterans bring that to the table, confidence and endurance. And as uh, your profile um, mentions for the, the startup, for the, the platform twist rate, that one in seven small businesses are the, uh, the veterans versus one in 14 civilians? Correct. 
So it's uh, there's already it's represented in in the startup activity that kind of thing. Well, when you say that these enterprises and innovations are to be funded by like-minded individuals, um, right. then are you limiting the pool of capital to just veterans? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I've I've worked with a you know a wide variety of people in the in the, in the spectrum of of professional entrepreneurs and professionals. I've worked in government service. I've worked uh, for independent companies. And the common thread throughout all of this, whether you're a veteran or an entrepreneur, that we like to encourage is the fact that, one, you're trying to break paradigms. Uh, and you're believing in yourself and your product. And that's a very common trait. The other thing is is ethics. You know, the ethics that we speak of at Twist Rate, which is hard work and discipline. And with Twist Rate, the foundation of it is hard work, discipline, and then also brotherhood. So when we talk about brotherhood or sisterhood, really what we're getting at is the ethical foundation is we're in this to help the inventor and the entrepreneur. My partner and I will talk about this extensively the twist rate is a means for us to continue serving the country after our service. And we're not, we didn't start twist rate in order to just capture people's ideas. We started twist rate as a company for guys and girls or women and men just like us. They're like, I have this idea and I might not be, um, I might not have an MBA, I might not have a business degree. And maybe I'm not even in business for myself, but I've been working on this idea. Where do I take this idea? And we want to take this to the grassroots level, which is people can email us with just a concept sketch and know, trust fully, within 100%, that one, their intellectual property is first and foremost going to be protected. We have a working agreement with one of the largest intellectual property uh, law offices, west of the Mississippi, and we are so concerned with being able to protect people, that's the first stop in their idea. Before it actually gets to us, it stops with the intellectual property attorney, and it says, absolutely, this idea can be protected, and we basically sign an informal non-disclosure with the, uh, with the person that's got developing the idea or the prototype. Okay. So then... I know it's a really great time from from sources uh, in business uh, sources of mine that it's it there it, it's a great time. The investors are looking for these very kinds of ventures mm-hmm. with the kinds of the portfolios that they're bringing with all of that stellar uh, military, high anxiety, high crisis, high uh, resource requesting, demanding kind of, of talent. So for those right. of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, where my guest is Evan Hafer, co-founder and CEO of Twistrate, first investment portal solely dedicated to veterans. Let's um, talk about how supportive or effective have has the um, Office of Veterans Business Development and the Small Business Administration's Patriot Express pilot loan been in assisting veterans? Because you're, you're sort of setting up something entirely different from that. Is, or maybe you're just cutting the red tape that they provide. Well, I'm not necessarily, I don't, I don't look at it as cutting the red tape. And what, what I look at it as, I'm creating another avenue. And, and I think 
you know, it, split decision-making, complex problem-solving. And I think if we boil that down to what we're trying to accomplish here and take those skills that veterans and entrepreneurs are really good at, split decision-making, complex problem-solving. And what we're trying to create is another avenue for people that possibly aren't going to fit into the small businesses, the SBAs, uh, Patriot Express. You know, if I've got a small idea and... That idea, you know, quite possibly, and if we'll just throw out some numbers in a generic sense, that idea might only in its lifetime net, you know, ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Now, that necessarily doesn't warrant to design and implement an entire business strategy around that, and nor does it kind of warrant the time and energy that it might take for a person to one go through the patent process and then develop a website just to sell this one widget. And so what we've created is what we believe a porthole for thousands of these, you know, smaller ideas that people don't want to don't want to build a business around. And what they can do is they can they can design and implement their prototypes, put them onto a straight, and now they can generate a great market buzz. Or we have another piece which is just venture capital. And if it's a great idea, and we believe in it to the point where we can take it to a venture capital mechanism. We'll absolutely, we'll shop that thing around. So we're creating a different uh, process that quite possibly is less bureaucratic and gives you instant feedback through thousands of people who take a look at your product and say, you know what, I like that product. I believe in that inventor, innovator, and I'm going to support them through crowdfunding. Well, it also sounds like with the intellectual property um, uh, portfolio there, that you're, or the service that you're offering on the website, that's perhaps additional protection that some a federal agency just can't even offer. Absolutely. To keep that, I- yeah. that, I- that idea intact with, uh, with that entrepreneur and that doesn't somehow get picked up somewhere else. Well, how much funding are these startups asking for? And, uh, then, and I'd like to know how you're going to be sustaining twist rate, too. It's, it's like a membership deal or there's a portion of the startup goes to you. Uh, how does, yeah. what, what are some of these funding issues? Well, uh, for, the first, uh, for the first portion of twist rate, what we're really, we're really achieving is just a crowdfunding mechanism, which is uh, a crowdfunding that's been you know, made popular by several of the large uh, platforms that are already available. What we realized was there, there really wasn't a before and an after support mechanism in these, meaning there wasn't really the chance to, to kind of put your idea out there and see if it needed to be changed just a little bit. Uh-huh. And, and or do you need intellectual property protection? Do you need trademark protection? And then as it moves into crowdfunding, which is the central mechanism right now up to a straight, right. it, we do capture a percentage of that. And we capture a percentage of that, so if you know, we capture 10% of the overall crowdfunding percentage. And what that does is that flows back into twist rate, and then we create a general fund for twist rate in order to basically invest in ideas as they continue to move through. All right. And so how much are some of them asking? I, I noticed in some of your beta uh, test for the uh, the upcoming to-be-launched website for, on July 4th that they're not asking for much yet. So it's in the no. realm of five digits and 
and they're they're lovely they're, uh, folks. There's some lovely products. I enjoyed seeing a couple of them. We'll talk a little bit about them in specific in just okay. a bit. So um, I, I want to find out what tends to be the types of firms that your earliest campaigners are building, are are veterans enterprises concentrating around a few particular sectors? Because I understand there's, as I said, there's a great deal of capital looking for these kinds of things, but how how broad is the spectrum of of sectors that uh, they're offering these products in? Well, I, I think if we break it down into the actual categories, and I think that's the easiest way we can kind of describe it, and the, the categories themselves are military and law enforcement. And they, they sit at the top of those categories. And really, the military and law enforcement uh, crowdfunding piece has been completely neglected. And what we're looking at is being able to capture new products that are pertaining to the operator-level usage. So, you know, a new uh, belt system or, uh, you know, a new camera system for vehicles or an armor upgrade for the doors. And they've talked to a lot of people in these industries in military and law enforcement. They're like, you know, I have some really great ideas. I build these prototypes on my own, but there's really no outlet for this. And when we sit that at the top of these categories, we're putting those categories, military and law enforcement, at the top saying, Absolutely, we think these are the ones that have been underutilized in the past for crowdfunding, so let's give these guys a mechanism. Now, the other thing that we have to understand is we don't put tools of destruction on twist rate. So <laughs> we, we, we're not putting firearms or anything else that, 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 are a, that is a means or a tool of destruction on there. Now, a tool of utility, for instance, a multi-tool, you know, a knife and a file, something like that, uh, we can't put that on there. Uh, but uh-huh. there are no tools of destruction. But it's military and law enforcement are the primary categories. Okay. But then we've also expanded that into art. That's a really big one, actually. Wow. So military and law enforcement art, as you can imagine, you know, there are millions of veterans, millions of law enforcement. I actually and can't imagine that. I can. Well, yeah. And the, the art itself, it's completely... Um, it's been neglected in the space as well. A lot of these artists, we're working with one specifically uh, here in Salt Lake, and <clears throat> Dyke Ross Kelly is his name. He is an amazing, amazing artist. You know, he. <laughs> the funny thing about Dyke is he's six foot five. He is a massive human being, and he really doesn't look like your stereotypical artist. He was a bench press champion. He is a very prominent figure. He's got a very deep, booming voice. And he makes these incredible carvings, and they're 3D portraits. So, for instance, I think you might have seen one on uh, the beta version I sent you. And he projects these images out, and they're uh, framed. Uh, Basically, what you'd look at is basically, uh, same thing as a, a framed painting, right, but it's in a you. 3D carving, so it might stick out 12 inches off the wall, and they are absolutely incredible. But getting the actual outlet for a guy like Dyke has been difficult for himself because he'll walk into galleries, and you know he's wearing a beat-up camouflage hat that's frayed, and he's got this <laughs> deep, booming voice. He's six foot five. You know, and he's got tattoos, and they're looking at him going, 
I can't imagine that you're creating something as beautiful as you're trying to describe to me. Oh, but they can see his two uh, framed art pieces under each arm, uh, yeah, bench pressing abso- those. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's, a, he's incredible, but he's had a very difficult time getting his art out. And we think there are literally tens of thousands of these guys out there that carve and paint for things that they're, they're directly passionate about and they've been in this actual space. I think Tyler Donaldson is another one that we have. You know, he's a tactical prototyper. He's a sewer, and he's been a Marine. He's been a law enforcement officer for over, I think, 15 years, and he's an artist. He's truly an incredible artist, and he's a sewer. Well, that doesn't necessarily directly translate a lot in our in our. Uh, in, in our market space, which Doesn't is say you're a Marine Express. and a police officer and you're a sewer. <laughs> right, right. You know, guys tend to typically shy away for whatever reason. So we're trying to bring these guys out and say, listen, you are an incredible artist. This is a space for you to get to get your product out. Well, I can and, see, uh, it's like, excuse me, I can see it. we're going to we, we're, we're going to cover a lot more material in a very mm-hmm. short list of time, but I can just sort of see the two-way street that Twist Rate's offering is a validation of a creative kind of outlet for yep. uh, and money-earning outlet for these veterans and a, also a billboard of the talent for other people to see what they're doing, understand yes. them better, and t- take that model of what that uh, that paramilitary military uh, veteran can do in that and that person uh, a civilian can see it validates what they want to do in their own world it's an amazing sort of a a double sided win win situation there so I I want to quickly go to a few of the entrepreneur examples Uh, one's practically in our neighborhood in Seal Beach Uh, that's Jennifer Stewart Tay with her she's got the city girl prepper and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, child prepper that uh, she's model got the prototypes and actually they're she's selling them now but she, she wants to go big up this uh, change her day job into this actual open up at this enterprise so right. uh, there's some other examples you can give us real quickly of what they're pitching right now mm-hmm. yeah, uh, in california we've, we've actually uh, talked to several people in california and uh one in particular he, he's created a biodegradable uh Gun lubricant and uh, solvent, so it's 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 completely harmless to to not human consumption. But you don't have to wear protective clothing. You know, it's made from uh, I wouldn't say it, it is organic materials, and it's an incredible lubricant and solvent for cleaning guns uh, and and oiling them. And he's built. Every machine that it takes in order to process this oil, and he's been selling it in very small forums, like at gun shows and things like that. But he's extremely passionate about this because he actually has um, has been working in woodworking for the last twenty years. He's a cabinet maker, a prototyper, a designer, and he came up with an oil that he wanted to use—something that was non-abrasive, something that was non-toxic, that he didn't have to worry about, you know, if it spilled in his shop and if his children were to get into it, it wouldn't affect them and their health. So 
He's a really incredible inventor. I don't know if you saw any of his campaigns. Uh, no, I haven't um, been able to yet, but there's many other examples. And, and folks, uh, when this launch, uh, the Twist Rate website is launched on 4th of July, people can see uh, additional videos of other products that are out there, the range of them uh, you'll get to appreciate. Uh, what I wanted to ask, uh, what, we don't even have more time, but I'm going to make it anyway. To what expense? Uh, to what extent, excuse me, do you expect to see these startups grappling with, uh, I'm going to say it, with the veteran health care delivery or veterans affairs? Since, as you explain on the website and elsewhere, it, the best, the neediest customers are are the government, the military customers. Do you see anybody offering some kind of a health care interface as a, a, a product, uh, an enterprise? Uh, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, we, we haven't seen anything as far as when, when we've been out there uh, pitching Twistrate and talking about Twistrate. We really haven't seen that. And, you know, I, I, I come back to this thing, which is, you know, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And really, we're, we're, we're taking that to heart, which is we are trying very adamantly to, to one, mentor these products and these people through the actual business obstacles. And we've, we've been navigating these obstacles for over, combined over two decades, my partner and I, and we feel like we've got a lot to offer being able to speak specifically to the individual's obstacles in the actual business world and helping them navigate around those and then develop their businesses for a sustainable amount of period um, for a lifetime. Right. So, well, don't you? And that's, yes. I think that's the biggest help we can provide. Well, I, I'm just going to suggest that Twistrate could, though, look for on the portal, post some people in need of services to absolutely. be rendered, and you can yes, have absolutely. some veterans with their their story of how they've managed their health care, and uh, I'm yes. sure you've got a great pairing up there of talent and need. So I, I just thought that one, since it keeps coming up, President Obama nominated his the Veterans Affair appointment yesterday at the White House, so it begs to be asked. Well, I'm afraid we have totally run out of time, but we might okay. be able to check in with you later as twist rate uh, matures, and I'm sure there's going to be other, even uh, we talked about uh, there will be some social aspect. There may be some unintended and uh, delightful social benefits of this. So I want to thank you for your time, Evan Hafer, and good luck with your twist rate launch. Happy 4th, and I, I also want to thank you for your sacrifice in active duty. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the very, thank you very intently for the opportunity to speak today about twist rate. It's good to have you on. Well, that was my guest, Evan Hafer, co-founder and CEO of Twistrate, the first investment portal solely dedicated to veterans. Stay tuned. We will be right back after a, a, a little break with DeMarie Molatieri and Trent Lang of the California Clean Campaign. Don't go away. Okay, thank you everybody for your patience here. We are certainly seeing with each election cycle and a recall or two the din of huge sums of cash clamoring unwieldy influence throughout our wilting democratic process. Yes, I'm loading up the modifiers because it's getting that way. So, and as we hear about campaign finance reform measures in California, tamping down this influence, I will keep an ear this morning about where these measures are and templates available for adoption in other states. 
We'll explore this today with Trent Lang and DeMarie Mulattieri. Trent Lang has served on the board of California Clean Money Campaign since 2003. He has been a spokesperson, lobbyist, and policy expert for the California Clean Money Campaign, analyzing campaign spending and proposing solutions to campaign finance issues for both California and elsewhere. He's been on the executive committee of four ballot campaigns in California, including serving as co-chair of Measure H, the Clean Money Enabling Measure in L.A., that passed in 2011. He's also helped run the successful legislative campaign enacting Assembly Bill 583 and 208. We're not going to get to that, but we because we've got so many ABs and SBs to cover today. Trent <laughs> Lang completed his Ph.D. from UCLA. That's a lot of alphabet with a multidisciplinary academic background in computer science, cognitive science and cognitive psychology and is the author of over 20 academic publications. He's president and CEO of Lang Fund Management Limited Liability, I guess, Corporation LLC, which runs a market-neutral hedge fund. Now we know how he can stay alive with all this um, grassroots activity. He comes to us today from Westwood in L.A. Marie Mulattieri was the founder and executive director of an educational charitable nonprofit providing international aid. She began actively organizing in 2011 to bring people together to create awareness and brainstorm on solutions to problems exasperated by the economic crash of 2008. In 2012, she ran for Congress in District 39, that's the Fullerton area, as an independent. She's currently a lead facilitator for GMO Free Orange County and Americans Organized for Change, a transpartisan coalition to support grassroots activists. And uh, the current focus for this American Organized for Change is stopping the Trans-Pacific Partnership as well as Fast Track Authority, an entire topic for another show, which we will do. Um, as longtime entrepreneur, DeMarie has started several successful businesses and has been the right arm of small business owners as well as she says C-level executives. Oh, she shouldn't say it that way. Uh, she has been a trainer for several international companies. She currently utilizes speaking and training skills to further the goals of California Clean Money Campaign, especially the passage of Senate Bill 52, the California Disclose Act, sort of the, this is going to be the um, centerfold of our uh, topic today, that will, this will dis- expose dark money in election campaigns and work for public financing. So she's a speaker, writer, and life mentor who writes an advice column, Ask DeMarie. Welcome back to Ask Ali DeMarie, and welcome Trent Lang to the show. Thank you, Claudia, for having us this morning. This is an appropriate time for this discussion because so much is being done by California Clean Money volunteers and grassroots activists across the state. All right. There's the salvo, folks. So, well, Trent and DeMarie has... The Koch brothers' recent plan of expending $3 million of just their own money, or should I say their father's money, uh, on campaigns leading up to the 2000 election, uh, tw- I'm sorry, 2016 general election, exceeded the level of contributions that you thought possible? The, the Koch brothers have certainly been going out and, and breaking all, all records. And, and one of the things that they do is not only do they spend the huge amounts of money that they have as, as some of the richest people on the planet due to their uh, uh, Coke Industries money, um, but, but uh, they rally their fellow uh, like-minded billionaires uh, together. Uh, this, this year, Americans for Prosperity uh, has said that they plan to spend $125 million dollars 
of secret money on campaigns in elections. That's a record in the midterm election for any private group um, and uh, completely outstrips what uh, the Democratic Congressional Committee, the Republican Congressional Committee, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, any of those those big time normal political parties have actually actually spent in, in previous elections. So, so yeah, they are they are throwing in secret money to uh, to dominate uh, elections all across America in ways that are just astounding. And so, when we talk about secret or dark money, I guess that that kind of influence isn't just it's. I guess it has a multiplier effect beyond perhaps open contributions. Can we not say so it's because it doesn't trace back to who's really in charge? It sort of confuses the identity or the ideological sort of brain trust behind a proposition behind a candidate's campaign. Is that correct? I would say that's true, Claudia. I mean, we what we can see over the past several years is that California voters are consistently voting against their best interest because of the misinformation that is being uh, reve- revealed to them via election advertising campaigns that are being funded with dark money. Okay. Well, let's let's get into what's going on in California. Let's start now, or go into the recent passage of Senate Bill 27, authored, i got to say, by Lou Correa up north Orange County, signed into law by Governor Brown this last May 14th this year, reforming the Political Reform Act. It goes back to 1974. This is to, to further regulate pardon the split infinitive, uh, campaign financing, adding the requirement that committees disclose donors of $100 or more where those donations were solicited for the purpose of making contributions expenditures in California. So uh, this originally pertained to candidates and statewide propositions, but at this point it's just propositions, correct? Well, SB twenty seven uh, is there's 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 two different bills that are dealing with with the issue of disclosure. And SB twenty seven is the Lou Correa bill that's already passed. And what it did is address the problem of these dark money nonprofits never revealing their donors, because uh, basically in current law nationwide they don't even have to report who's giving their money that they're spending anywhere. And there was a huge uh, controversy. There was a huge uh, um, uh, a problem with that in the 2012 election where uh, uh, Arizona nonprofits funneled $11 million of laundered money that turned out to be through a bunch of secretive Coke industry uh, nonprofits into California elections to try to try to buy results on uh, on Propositions 30 and Prop 32 to, to try to try to hurt uh, unions. Um, and uh, what Prop what SB 27 did was very important. It basically uh, came in and for the first time anywhere in the country said that if you are a nonprofit organization and you spend $50,000 or more in California campaigns, you have to reveal who your donors are. You have to report them to the Secretary of State, no more hiding them whatsoever. Um, and that was a major, major bill to try to get passed, and we had to really work and get a, 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 it, all these sorts of bills require two-thirds votes in California to go into law without having to go to the ballot. Um, uh, that that was a, a major push to do that. We had a lot of grassroots action behind it. Um, that actually came into law so that now these dark money nonprofits have to actually report to the Secretary of State in California, not in the rest of the country yet, 
but at least in California, they have to reveal who their secret donors are so the press and everybody else can look them up and find who they are. And so do you, uh, it's important, to, I think, for us to understand, do you see this as a template? Is it getting picked up in other states so we can get a little more transparency institutionalized uh, beyond California? Yeah, these, these, these sorts of disclosure laws do seem to be spreading. Uh, New York, uh, Massachusetts just passed a, a, a law that does similar sorts of things. Um, there is a National Disclose Act uh, a, a attempt that Democrats have had that, that come close, uh, that came close in 2010 uh, to passing. It actually came within one, uh, uh, it was one vote short of passing due to a filibuster. Uh, it had 59 votes uh, to pass. Um, so, so we have seen other states pick up similar uh, uh, similar concepts, and then hopefully, eventually, the nation as a whole will be able to pick it up. But definitely, what we what we're doing here in California, uh, we hope can be a model for the rest of the country. Well, as as Dean Marie pointed out, it's a good time to talk about the the campaign finance reform efforts in or in, in uh, excuse me in California. It's on now to Senate Bill Fifty Two, the California Disclose Act, which passed out of the Senate last year. And last week, with all the Democrats and a handful, three Republicans have uh, voted uh, on in the assembly. So where uh, where does it stand? And folks, listen closely because you have a homework assignment. So, Demarie, you want to pick up there? Well, we were very excited to have over 141 grassroots activists show up to the election uh, hearing for the assembly, and you know that this is what democracy really looks like. It's you know when we put a call out and people actually show up like they did. It is extremely impressive to the legislators because then they know their constituents are behind the bill, and uh, so you know we are very excited to see it pass out of the election hearing committee on a five-to-one vote, and uh, very soon it will be going to the Appropriations Committee. Okay, and so what is the, uh, what could a listener who is chomping on the bit about the distortions in the political process, what do you think is an effective way for them to deal with that frustration and helplessness feeling? Well, you know, the, the the best way is to actually volunteer for the cause. You know, um, it's very easy. If they go to our website on uh, caclean.org and they sign an online petition, they will automatically start receiving emails that will notify them when we actually need them to actually put boots on the ground. And as I just said, it's really the grassroots activists, the volunteers, the people who sign the petition, who pick up the phone and call their state senators or state assembly members, uh, who write the emails. That's what gets these bills passed. I mean, yeah, we act as a mouthpiece, but, you know, they're looking for the vote, and they want to see that constituent support. So when we send an email out and we say, hey, we need phone calls being made, can you volunteer to do that? If they jump on and help, uh, that's more important than, than, than anything, really. We need the volunteers. We cannot do this without them. For those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Dee-Marie Mulatieri, campaign finance reform activist, and Trent Lang, president and executive director of the Clean Money Campaign, about several measures throughout the California legislative process, including the California Disclose Act, here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM.
FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We're talking, as I said, specifically about Senate Bill 52. And so uh, time's running out, though. This is the end of the two-year legislative session where this can be acted on. So um, what is the time frame for the legislative handling of Senate Bill 52? It has to uh, be, every all bills have to be out of Sacramento by the end of August. So we're down to the last last two months here, um, and it's going to be a fight. Uh, the, the California Disclose Act is a um, going to be a, not an easy bill to pass, because what it's going to do is it's going to completely change the way disclosures look on, on ballot measure ads in California. Please lay right that now, all the way out. Yes. Yeah. Right now... As B. Marie mentioned earlier, people get fooled and deceived by by these these groups in, that uh, spend tens of millions of dollars on ads, uh, uh, and then they they the ads say in very fine print that you're lucky to read, you know, misleading names like paid for by stop hidden taxes or the 2012 Auto Insurance Discounts Act, uh, groups like that. Which who are those? They they they, they sound good. Uh, but nobody knows who they are. What the Disclose Act would do would be to get rid of the fine print and say that for five seconds on the uh, on a solid black background with big bold font. Um, as an example, this uh, Prop 26 is a terrible example. That before we're saying uh, it was paid for by stop hidden taxes, it would replace that with its top three funders, which in the case of Prop 26 would have been top funders of this ad are Chevron. Philip Morris, and Isaac Bush. Big, or, or proper... old, contrasting okay. font on a black background. So people, there's a big difference between stop hidden taxes and fine print and these corporations uh, uh, that are actually paying for it so that people can get a better idea where the ad is coming from. Well, that's kind of amazing because just think of all the visual visual learners out there that will uh, that will have so much traction with. Exactly, exactly. And and the same thing, uh, is similar sorts of things with radio ads. Right now, you got that speed reader guy. Exactly. The speed reader guys are going to go out of business. We're sorry, Mr. Speed Reader Guy, but, you know, uh, uh, it's going to have to be big, uh, nice, clear, readable uh, uh, description. Top funders of this ad are Chevron and Philip Morris. Same thing on those mailers that everybody gets stuffed in their mailbox, big clear box with top three funders of the ad. So it will change everything when it comes to ballot measure ads. And so many ballot measures that we've seen in California where good things have tried to tried to be passed have been killed by uh, corporations or billionaires or other special interests that fooled voters. But if, if people knew who was paying for them, we might have very different results in terms of the outcomes in California. So let me understand, why does this act require it to be brought before the voters? If we, I mean, the lawmakers, their job is to pass the law. And so sometimes I don't understand where certain laws are put to, to the people. Is, that, is it a compromise that's negotiated in the legislative arena that we'll, we'll, we'll give our imprimatur on this, but we want, the, we want to hear back from the, uh, the John Doe, the registered voter? Well, the way it worked is that California, way back in 1974, passed the Political Reform Act. That was a ballot measure right. uh, that gave California's first disclosure laws at all. And, and California actually has, believe it or not, some of the best disclosure laws in the country. And, and 
because they didn't want the legislature to muck it up by, and change it and make it worse, they okay. actually required that the legislature pass any improvements with a two-thirds vote. Um, or a majority vote could put on the ballot and the voters could decide with a majority vote. But if, if they can get a two-thirds vote, then, then, then we can pass changes like the Disclose Act and like we did pass SB 27. Okay, so that would take the middleman, the, uh, the, the secret disclosures, to subvert a proposition effort on the ballot to, would subvert that and, uh, and give uh, the legislative arena their due to uh, carry out their, those responsibilities. That's right. And if they pass it with a two-thirds vote, then, the, then all disclosures on ballot measures from here on, on in, with that, in California anyways, would have to clearly and prominently show their top three funders, their top three actual funders, not fake names, but their top three corporations and unions and millionaires that paid for the ad. Okay. Well, we've got a few more alphabets and numbers here to lay out. The Senate Bill 1272 is intended also for this November 20, uh, let's see, 2014 ballot for the California legislature to ratify an amendment to overturn Citizens United. Tell us uh, what we, uh, what, where we go from there. What's, where, where, what the status is and what, uh, helplessly, uh, helpless feeling uh, residents and voters uh, can do about weighing in and uh, influencing that process. Trent, you want to go ahead and, t- and talk about the bill, yeah. and I'll talk about how to help. Yes. We just have so a few minutes. 1272, we got a, a, a fundamental, the Disclose Act will do something that we can do now, which is fix disclosure, and the Supreme Court actually has said that disclosure is good. So, But we do have a fundamental problem that the Supreme Court made these ridiculous decisions in Citizens United allowing corporations and unions and anybody else to spend unlimited amounts on campaigns. That's kind of the fundamental problem. They're equating saying that money is equivalent to speech. So we have to overturn that that decision one way or the other. And SB 1272, as you would describe, would actually put a measure on uh, this November's ballot, if it, if it passes uh, uh, through the legislature right now, that would um, require, uh, that would let the voters of California tell Congress, we want you to pass a constitutional amendment overturning uh, Citizens United, saying that money is not speech and that corporations aren't people. Um, and that will send a very powerful message to Congress that they need to address uh, that, that, that problem. It's getting very, 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 very close uh, right now. It, it's passed through the Senate. It passed through the Assembly just yesterday. Uh, and through all the people making uh, signing petitions and making phone calls, all the things that Dean Marie talked about, that's how it's gotten as far as it did. It's got to go back for one last vote in the Senate, and then Governor Brown has to sign it. Uh, so we'll be asking people to, to push the governor to make sure that he does, and then there'll be a ballot campaign. So in far as, as far as what um, the voter in California can do, we do need to continue to put pressure on the Senate to make sure that it gets that concurrence vote, and then also on Governor Jerry Brown. Now, we have a huge social media presence on Facebook and also presence on Twitter. So if any of the listeners are social media buffs, we would love for them to like our California Clean Money campaign Facebook page. We have a rapid response team that helps us disseminate the information and very quickly so that it gets a broad spectrum exposure. 
Um, and so that's one way. And then, of course, the phone calls. Phone calls are very effective. <clears throat> Excuse me. One phone call is as equal to, I don't know, what do you say, Trent, 35 um, emails? Oh, 100, easily. 100? Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I I understand that. I I wanted. Uh, I just want to lay out one last concern about that, though. This is so uphill because of this is one state, one blue state, and I imagine uh, that we could see a sort of an ideological divide with this kind of uh, with the receptivity around the country because it would take a, a two thirds uh, states uh, adoption of that amendment for it to become a part of the constitution. So um, that's. Uh, there's a lot of work ahead, and it's it looks this, the slope looks mighty steep. So um, I, I we've really got to draw this entire show to a close here. So I've got to thank you both for coming on, D. Marie Mulatieri and Trent Lang, amidst all of the clean campaign finance, financial finance reform, all of that going on in California with impacts uh, beyond the state. I want to thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you, Claudia. We really appreciate uh, the fact that you've had us on. And we do ask your readers to, to find us on the web at caclean.org. Okay. Thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We're going to go uh, sign off here, give it back to uh, on to Senior George Rosales in just a second. I just had to uh, let you know what we're going to be doing with uh, the show coming up next uh, week. So... That's all we have. Uh, we're next week since the Orange County Fair. We'll be showcasing food and yes, craft beers in a big way. And covering that, we'll bring back Black Market Bakery owner Rachel Klemick and other featured food experts with stints over there in Costa Mesa. A bit fluffier show than today. And then it'll be my pleasure to present all the new UCI Artists in Residence program at the Claire Trevor School of the Arts with my guests, artists Selwa. Sweden and Oscar Costarellon and curator Laura Marr. And so talk with you next week. Happy Declaration of Independence Day, all. Take a moment. Look at that document sometime this week, okay? Thanks for listening. <laughs>